highest of heights to the depths of the sea. So David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David noticed, fasted, and went in and lay all night on the ground. And so the elders of his house came and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Scripture says, The Lord struck the child. This is hard for many to accept. Sadly, sometimes the innocent suffers because of the sin of the guilty. Since the sickness came immediately after the words of Nathan the prophet, it was received as from the hand of God. This was far more tragic for David and Bathsheba than it was for the child himself. Their young son suffered for several days, and we may trust that God's comfort was extended to the child in the midst of the suffering. At the end of his suffering, the child went to eternal glory. Though the child died, the chastisement was really upon David and Bathsheba and not upon the child. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he finalizes chapter 12. God, you will not despise. And that is the difference. That's the difference between him and Saul. David broke and he truly was repentant. And that's what God wants. Even after a year of hiding from God, he finally comes to terms with it. And what a wonderful God we serve. In fact, turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. You'll notice in the prologue of the psalm, it actually says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So David wrote this. Perhaps he wrote this during that year of his roaring. Look at what it says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before you. Notice, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was born... I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me, acknowledging that he's a sinner by nature, doesn't he? And behold, your desire, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. So purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. David's bones were like... like, he probably felt like a dried up old man because all of his 
it's just a life, the vitality was just being sucked out of his life over this sin and just the guilt and the shame of it. Hide your face from my sins, God, and blot out all my iniquities. I love this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. How could God forgive the man? Here it is. A broken heart. Create in me a clean heart. Do you have a clean heart? Do you have a clean heart? Or are you claiming to be a Christian, and you are, but maybe you're still harboring a filthy heart? And it doesn't necessarily have to be anything like the sins we're talking about tonight. It could be anything. It could be unforgiveness. It could be harboring bitterness, hatred. Recreate in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me in your generous spirit. David here crying out through the psalm. And what a blessing this psalm has been to so many men and women who have been in the same spot, who have gone through this very same thing and read this psalm and go, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I was thinking. And this is exactly how I was feeling. Then, and notice, restore me to the joy of my salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Notice verse 13, I love this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Notice, when, when, you, when David goes through this, this horrible thing in his life, is he just licking his wounds and moving on? No, he, so, he says, no, first I'm restored, and then I'm going to teach. I'm going to tell others about it. See, that's what we need to do is when we go through something horrible, we learn something, share it with somebody. Because you're gonna, there's so many people going through different things. And when you've gone through it yourself, what a great balm of Gilead you are to that person. What a great encouragement you are to a person who is sore and in the middle of their sin and just lying there in anguish. And you can say, you know what? I've been there. David says, I've been there. For a year, I wallowed in my own tears on my bed. My soul was racked with guilt. I felt like my prayers were like iron hitting the ceiling. Nothing was happening. I, I just, I was dying. And how you can come, and then you can read a psalm like this. Deliver me, God, from bloodshed, O God. The, o God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Notice, the worship is even restored. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praises. There it is, his witness. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. David, when he, you notice that there's no mention of him doing a, an offering. I mean, maybe he did, but the Bible seems to be silent about it. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. God forgave him without the sacrifice. Are you kidding me? Yeah, because of his heart attitude. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, here it is, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. Yes with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, and then they shall offer bulls on your altar. They certainly did those things, but the thing that was most important was the heart. God could care less about the bulls and all that stuff. He was more concerned about the inward reality of our lives. That's why he was so hard on the Pharisees and the scribes. Everything was external. Everything was a show. Everything was on the outside. But they weren't looking inside. And God says, you know what? I would have much rather 
the inside was dealt with. We're rascals, aren't we? This, this heart of ours, our old nature is still in us. I mean, there's a new sheriff in town, right? If you're a born-again believer, you've got the Spirit of God indwelling you. But that old nature is still present. And oh, how he needs to be crucified daily, right? Don't let him up. Keep, him, keep your foot on him and you stand on him and do not let him express himself any longer in your life. The Spirit of God wants it. The Spirit of God desires that for you. Why? To take away your fun? No, hardly. So that you have a really blessed life. Because a real blessed life is one that is no, there's no guilt, there's no uh, remorse. Isn't that true? Think of how often people feel guilty and they have remorse. What does that do? It just takes your life away. But when you can actually lay your head on your pillow and you've, you've confessed everything and God says, I love you and I accept and I forgive you. Huh. There's nothing better than that. That's like a kid who walked into FAO Schwartz and the parent says, you can have whatever you want. Pile it all up. Send it all home. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like a kid in a candy store when you've been forgiven by God. Just a great joy and the clear conscience. Isn't that worth something? It is. In Psalm 32, the first five verses, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And that was certainly David. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And notice what he says. He, he says, when I, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. And here, I believe David is recounting that year of him hiding from God, and it just eating him like a cancer. <laughs> Though I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess, notice, my transgression to the Lord. And notice, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Doesn't that sound like 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10? 8 through 10? If we confess, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. Notice back in our text in verse 14, However, because of this deed you have given great occasion, God says, to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born of you shall surely die. David didn't die, but the child did. So what were David's consequences? If we were to write them down, what were they? Well, obviously the sword wouldn't depart from his house. We know that his Two sons will be murdered. His one daughter would be um, taken advantage of. His own son, Absalom, would seek to take the throne and be with David's concubines. His firstborn son from Bathsheba would die. That's pretty, that's pretty much there, isn't it? And there was the innocent substitute. Do you ever notice that? There was the innocent substitute for David's sin. God says, because you did this, I'm taking your son. David didn't die, but his firstborn son from Bathsheba did. What was the other, one? other consequences? It would give occasion to the enemies to, to the blaspheme the Lord, and also the headache and the guilt that he would carry with him. And David was not quite the same after this, was he? He wasn't quite the same. He gave us some of the richest psalms 
for us to, to, I hate to say enjoy, but to, some of them, yes, to enjoy, but some of them are heart-wrenching when you're going through things and it really ministers to you. But it just brings about the scripture that says the wages of sin is death. We all know this and we see it here in David's life. The wages, it's what you get when we sin. There's always death. Maybe a physical death. Maybe a relationship that's lost. Maybe a trust that's been forsaken and, and, and broken. Notice verse 15. Then Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. So after the son is born, so David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David, noticed fasted, and went in and lay all night on the ground. And so the elders of his house came and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. And then when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. And therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Do you realize? He. David, you had a son. He is dead. In 1 John, it tells us that there is a sin leading to death. I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but I, I just found it interesting that David didn't die, but the consequence of his sin, his firstborn son would die. God forgave him. Yes, he forgave him, but there are consequences. Now, here's the cool thing, is that that son is in glory. We'll get to that. So David arose from the ground. He washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes. He went in, notice, into the house of the Lord. And then he went into his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him. And he finally ate. And so, um, you know, David, um, obviously this is very different from what most people encounter. Normally after the child has died, you would think that he would, then he would be fasting and praying and going through all the affliction. But David knew that God was just in doing what he did. And he knew there was nothing he could do about it. He had to appropriate and understand that God forgave him, and then he also had to realize that God also took my son. And boy, that is a bitter pill, isn't it? To know that you've been forgiven, but God told him, but your son I will take. Oh my goodness. That will level you. If you've got any blood in you at all, that will just level you. And I think that's why David was like, you know what, God? From this moment onward, I am yours, and I'm not going to mess around like this ever again. We're not to despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction, it says in Proverbs. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Isn't that true? He corrected his son. Whom he loves, he corrects. So if he corrects you, or you're in good company. Because God loves you and me. He doesn't want us to continue in our mourning and our continuing in our sin. Notice verse 21. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. 
And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. Now, I want you to underline this in your Bible, because this to me is one of the most profound things in all of the Bible. David says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Do you realize what he's saying right here? Now, we can't build a great deal of doctrine around this, but I will say this, and I believe it's true. David knew that when that child died, it went to the presence of God. That child didn't even have the understanding of sin. It was so young. It was only seven days old. I believe there's an age of accountability, and that's going to be different for every person. But this child had no understanding. When an infant dies like that, I believe with all my heart that that child goes back to the Lord. David knew that instinctively. Because he says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And what's even more profound about that, I find, is that David knew that he was forgiven and that he was going to heaven as well. Even after all that he had done. Now think about that. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a word in the Psalms that says, Selah, think about that. That is huge. Do you understand the grace that he comprehended here? He knew that the child would be in glory and that he wasn't going to be able to bring the child back, but he was going to go to the child. He knew that he was going to go to heaven in spite of all that he's done, even because of the things he did. Wow. That is huge. He comprehended the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God. Believe me, or don't believe me, but let me encourage you to believe in God's forgiveness. It will heal you. It will give you a right understanding of the character of God when you take him at his word. Regardless of what you've done, we are so racked with stuff. We feel guilty about many things. But do you believe the promise of God? That if you confess it, he'll forgive you? Do you really believe it? If you do, then you can be like David. And he can say, you know what, I, I can't bring him back, but I know I'm going to him. Wow. The grace that was comprehended. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son and called his name Solomon, which means peace. And now the Lord loved him. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and so he called his name Jedediah. Solomon, his name means peace, but God gave him a name called Jedediah, and it means beloved of the Lord. Very interesting, isn't it? God loved him, even in spite of all the sin and all the things that had happened. And now we get to the rest of the chapter here. We'll just go through it fairly quickly. It says, Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the people of Ammon and took the royal city. We looked at this in chapter 10, partly. And And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbi, and I have taken the city's water supply. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. What a gracious thing that Joab had done by telling David, come while the, the city is weak. You come and finish it off so it will be called by your name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbi to fight against it, and he took it. And then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold, which is somewhere between 75 and 92 pounds of gold. Try putting that on the market today. How much would that be? Hmm. 
He took the king's crown and with precious stones, and it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out all the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes, made them cross over to the brickworks. And so he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. And then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. And the people of Ammon, the Ammonites, were very brutal. The Bible tells us that they were just brutal, brutal people. You, and uh, If you get an opportunity, go to 1 Samuel chapter 11 and read about what they wanted to do and take out the eyes of the men of the Israelites, of, of the, uh, the, Gibe, or the, um, uh, the men there on the east side. I'm drawing a blank with it. But even Amos tells us that they ripped open the pregnant women. So these, these men were animals. And God was going to judge them, and he certainly did by using his own people. But as we look at this chapter, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? But it's, it's so important for us to, again, just... Ladies and men, that we would take these things to heart. And there's nothing that you've ever done that God can't forgive, do you know that? As long as you have breath in your lungs, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you're doing right now even, maybe, no matter what it is, you confess it. And don't live a life of regrets like David did. Don't live a life that could have been, should have been, would have been. Do you see what that, I mean, what would his life been like? How great of a king might he have even been greater had he not fallen to temptation here and did what he did? One sin leading to another. How much greater was what his kingdom have been? And how much greater the lives of men and women that we and I both know? How much more fruitful could their lives have been if they had not given in to those things? So let us learn from David. Let us learn from those things. And draw close to the Lord and ask him, to, Lord, help us. Help us all. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, passage of Scripture, Lord. No doubt, one of the hardest places in the Bible. And yet, Lord, we know that we are men and women of like passions. We are no different than David. He wasn't a superstar. That each one of us, Lord, has the capability of doing these things. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us. And, Lord, for every man and woman in earshot of this, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to examine our own hearts again and put away those things that we know are an offense to you, Lord. Please cleanse us, Lord. Like David said in Psalm 51, create in me, create in us, Lord, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Lord, how we look to look to you to do this work in us and how we thank you for that you desire to do it, Lord. So please bless us, Lord, as we go out from this place. Keep us safe. Lord, may our day tomorrow be sweeter than it was today. May we draw closer to you to, uh, tonight and tomorrow and, and, and be closer to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.